0: Returning to our accidental series in the book of Revelation after our break during Advent and the start of the new year. And this morning, I want to tell two stories which will maybe help us to remember where we are in Revelation after our month long break, uh, and more importantly, to help us see where we're going. There's quite a lot in Revelation that the author, John, assumes that the reader knows. He assumes that our brains are filling in pieces of the story that he references but doesn't fully tell. And I realized as I searched for sort of an example about this that it's hard to find a cultural reference that a multi-generational church will all get. But let's just say uh, that I said something about, now don't stay out too late because once it's midnight, everything turns back to pumpkins and mice. Is there a fairy tale that everyone's brain fills in the story? Anybody know? There we go, right? Cinderella. It doesn't matter if you were watching Disney, Rodgers and Hammerstein, after midnight, that pumpkin that the fairy godmother turned into a carriage is going to go right back. If I say lions and tigers and bears, we all know what movie that's coming from, right? So our mind begins to fill in the picture of Dorothy and Scarecrow and the Tin Man skipping down a yellow brick road into a dark forest in The Wizard of Oz. You don't need me to explain the reference, even though I just did, but you don't need me to explain the reference because you just know what it's from. Your mind began to see the picture of that. Uh, You began to fill in all of the other things about glass slippers and running out and Cinderella and the prince and all of those things. And John didn't think that he needed to explain his references to Israel's history. He just assumed that they all knew what it was from. And the problem is that too many of us today don't fully know the backstory. So we read something in Revelation, and it no longer triggers our mind to go, oh yeah, I've read that before, I, I know that reference. But John's readers Did. So the Bible is actually one huge story, which in a lot of ways repeats itself over and over again in different ways. And one way that we can connect the dots and understand those references is to read the story backwards. So Richard B. Hayes is kind of a big-time scholar who looks at how the New Testament authors, not current authors, but New Testament authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, how they understood and interpreted the Old Testament authors. So he talks about reading the Bible backwards and sort of reinterpreting the story of Israel in light of the story of Jesus. It's a way of connecting two events that seem quite separate, but are actually more connected than we first thought. Because the two seemingly standalone, separate events actually help us understand each event a bit better when we know both stories. So, let me explain this by telling you both stories this morning. John, a pastor, has been stuck on the island of Patmos. And one Sunday morning, he is worshiping the Lord and he gets this revelation of Jesus given to him to help everyone understand what would take place. And he sees a vision of Jesus. And Jesus himself says to John, Write all this down and tell these seven churches what you see. And what John begins to see and hear is some super crazy stuff that honestly he has a hard time describing, but he does so to the best of his ability. And because he's describing things, it often leaves us wondering, as we've talked about before, is this real? Is it literal? Is it figurative? Is it a metaphor? And he begins to then see animals that are made up of multiple types of animals all at once. It's a little bit crazy. He sees rainbows and crystals and rare jewels. He hears thunder and harps and voices singing. He weeps and he cheers. He eats books. He gets instructions. And he witnesses all sorts of terrible judgments being released on the earth. And then... In Revelation chapter 16, which is where we are now, as we've been making our way through this series, this is kind of where we start back up, he will see seven angels pour out seven bowls full of God's wrath on the earth. So let's look at those seven angels. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly, festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Not good. Not a fan of that right there. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead person, and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. And they were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. And then, this is disturbing, people gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. Still, though, they refused to repent of what they had done. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And then John saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And they're demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. And then the seventh and the last angel poured out his bowl into the air. And out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. And what's interesting is John has witnessed very similar and equally terrible. Uh, Things when the angels had sounded trumpets back in Revelation chapter 8. And with the trumpets had come hail and fire mixed with blood. When he saw those trumpets, a mountain was thrown into a sea, a sea turned to blood, stars were falling out of the sky, waters were turning bitter, the sun and the moon went dark, and locusts that looked like horses with the power of scorpions filled the earth also disturbing and with these trumpets and bowls of wrath God is desperate for more people to repent of their sins as a result they seem to be warnings and their calls for repentance because remember these things haven't actually happened John is writing them down about what will happen it's a warning but these things will happen they just haven't happened yet And we just read that after the fourth bowl, the people still refused to repent and to glorify God. That first bowl of wrath was poured out on those who had pledged allegiance to the beast, had worshipped the pseudo lamb instead of the real lamb who had actually died for them. After the first six trumpets back in chapter 8, we were told the people still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons or these idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood. And where have we heard that uh, before? Jeremiah this morning during hear the word of the Lord, right? These are the kinds of idols. These are idols that can't see or hear or walk. They have to be carried. And yet people were determined that they would worship them instead of the real true God who lives and breathes and speaks. And they did not repent then of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. And yet, even as God was issuing these warnings and calls of repentance, pouring out judgment on those who did not repent, John tells us that there have been those who remain true to the Lamb. There were those who had been dressed in white, a white that is only clean because it's been washed in the blood of the lamb. In other words, it wasn't that they were good or better. It's just that these were the ones who had repented. They were the ones who had come to Jesus. And Jesus was good and sinless and had died for them. It was his blood that cleansed them. And so John sees these who have not worshipped the beast or the fake pseudo-lamb, who have kept themselves pure before the Lord. He sees them gathered around the throne, and he sees them worshipping Jesus and bringing him glory and honor, and he sees that they are made up of every nation and tribe and language and color. And then when John saw the angels with those bowls of wrath getting ready to pour out what would be the final outpouring of wrath, He also witnessed this incredible scene that he writes down in what we know as chapter 15. And John saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. That's that whole 666 confusion there. And they held harps given them by God, and they sang the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb. And after this, John looked and saw in heaven the temple. That is the tabernacle of the covenant law. And the temple was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels with these seven plagues. And they were dressed in clean, shining linen, and they wore golden sashes around their chest. And then one of those four living creatures gave to the seven angels the seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever And the temple was then filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could even enter the temple until these plagues of the seven angels were completed. And on this day, it was a day of judgment for some, but it's also a day of salvation for others. Two things are true. It is both a day of judgment, and yet it is also a day of salvation. Because here we have these Who have now had this wrath and judgment poured out on them. And yet, we also have these people who kept their eyes on the Lamb, who are now standing with the Lamb, singing a song of victory. They're witnessing the presence of God come to dwell among them forever, while at the same time, those who did not follow the Lamb, but worship the beast. Are having ugly, festering, painful sores break out on their bodies, and there's something about this drama that John sees play out that just doesn't seem quite right. It doesn't sit well with me, right? I'm super bothered because I don't want that to happen. I'm, I, I'm, I, it, it's upsetting to me. It doesn't make sense how this could all be true. How could God do this to anyone? How could He send frogs and terrible things and boils and festering sores onto people, and yet at the same time, I would also like to know, how can I avoid festering sores, right? I mean, these are the two things that are, I mean, I don't want that to happen, and also, how do I make sure it doesn't happen to me if it's going to happen at all, right? I have two separate questions going on in my head, And so maybe it's time to tell the other story to help shed light on this one, and maybe the two will shed light on each other. So for the other story, we go backwards in our Bible, almost to the beginning. We go back to Exodus chapter 1. And the people of Israel are living in Egypt, and they've now been made slaves. And they've been living there at this point in time for 400 years. And they begin to cry out to God, how long which sounds very familiar to us who have been studying the book of Revelation. And they begin to cry out, how long, how long, how much longer? And God heard their cry, and he raised up a leader, Moses. And Moses tries to solve the problem his own way, which was not good, and there's a whole other lesson in there for us in that one. But he ends up running for his life. And while he was living in the desert, God appears in a burning bush and speaks to him. Moses is to go before the Pharaoh and ask that the people of Israel be allowed to go into the desert to worship God. So when Moses and his brother Aaron, what? Aaron, there we go, his brother Aaron go before Pharaoh and make this request, they're told no. No, I am not going to let the people go because I know if I do, you're not going to actually return and I'm going to lose all of my workers. So no, you cannot go into the desert. So Moses and Aaron, they return to Pharaoh to make the same request and this time to let him know if he continues to refuse, the Nile River will be turned to blood. And what follows are 10 plagues because Pharaoh will not let God's people go. So the people in Egypt... And for the most part, the Israelites too, because they're living there, they experience the waters turning to blood, frogs living everywhere, gnats, flies that come only to Egypt and not to the people of Israel, livestock are all killed in Egypt, but not the livestock of God's people, and then those same disgusting, festering boils break out on men and animals. Hail destroys the crops. Locusts, I don't know if they were the size of horses or not, but locusts uh, eat everything that wasn't destroyed. Darkness comes and rules over the land. And then finally, the firstborn of every household in Egypt dies. And these plagues were a result of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart toward the things of God because of his idolatry and because of his persecution of God's people. Pharaoh would not relent. He would not repent. He continued to serve his own false gods. He refused then to recognize that God was over all things. But the ultimate purpose of the plagues in Exodus was not so much to persuade Pharaoh to let the Israelites leave, But to give God opportunity to show his power, which is above every other power, including the magicians in Pharaoh's court, and to demonstrate that God was over all creation. You see, God made the day and the night so he can cause it to stand still and be only dark for three days if he so chooses. He spoke into the darkness once and created day and night. He can do it again. He is over all of creation. God understands the seasons because he made them, but he'll not be controlled by them. He will not be controlled by his creation, so he'll send hail or locusts to destroy what he made if need be. And the result is that even creation comes to recognize that God alone is worthy of glory. Creation begins to groan, waiting for redemption. It's why then in Revelation, what we witness is every living creature is now around the throne celebrating and worshiping God because they recognize that he alone is worthy So God, through these plagues of judgment and the salvation of Israel, will gain glory, and all will know that he alone is the Almighty God. So God prepares the people of Israel to leave, and he lets them know in advance about the final plague that is coming to the households of Egypt. And to be spared from death in their own households, they're to kill a lamb, and apply its blood to the doorpost around their homes. And when God passed over that night, if he saw the blood, he would spare them. And if not, judgment would come. And once again, the day of judgment for Egypt was also the day of salvation for Israel. There was both mourning and rejoicing. There was weeping and there was celebration on the same day. And as a result of the death of the sons across Egypt, Pharaoh tells the Israelites get out, go ahead and leave. But then they reach the Red Sea and Pharaoh is angry and he orders his army to go after Israel and bring them back. Just when you think you've defeated the enemy, back he comes with a renewed vengeance. So now Moses is standing there looking at all of the people. He sees the Red Sea in front of them. He looks behind them and sees Pharaoh's army charging towards them. And then he says these words in Exodus 14, which are absolutely amazing given the circumstances. He began to speak on the Lord's behalf, and he says, Do not be afraid, but stand firm, and you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And God then parts the Red Sea and they walk across on dry land and then Pharaoh's army is drowned in the same waters. And Moses leads the people in a new song. It's a song of redemption and celebration, a song declaring victory and worship to the Lord. And the people continue on then through the book of Exodus towards the land God had given them. During that time, Moses meets with God and he's given 10 commandments that are written on stone. God tells Moses to have the people make a sanctuary for me and I'll come and dwell among you. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And in that tabernacle was to be the tablets of testimony or the testimony, which was another name for the law. And three times the commandments then in Exodus are referred to as the testimony. And once this tabernacle was built and set up, at the end of the book of Exodus we read, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses could not even enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and the Lord came and dwelt among his people in that day. And now... What do these two stories shed light on? What do we learn or what do we see in greater ways by having our minds now fill in details on both sides? When we have the Exodus story and the Revelation story and we're holding both of them, what do we begin to see and what similarities do we find that the original readers in John's day would have automatically filled in? And how does knowing the end of the Exodus story, the redemption and salvation that comes, the victory that is theirs, and God dwelling with his people, how does knowing the end of that story fill us with hope for how the story of Revelation will end? Well, first of all, God always has a plan for deliverance. In both stories, we see very similar plagues that come to people. The first five trumpets in Revelation are patterned after five of the plagues in Egypt. And these bowls of wrath that are poured out, several are very similar plagues as well. Boils and frogs and seas to blood. But where the plagues in Exodus served as a demonstration of God's power overall, in Revelation, their primary purpose is is judgment of unbelievers. And John is writing them down again as a warning that there was still time to repent. But make no mistake, these are real plagues and real judgment that came in Exodus. So there's no reason to believe these same real plagues won't come again. And some of the judgment that we read in these places comes to everyone because everyone lives in this fallen world. Jesus said the sun would shine on the evil and the good. Rain would fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. And sometimes gnats annoy all of us, you know? Sometimes stuff just happens and it's annoying because we live in this earth and there's nothing to be done about it except to just endure the annoyance of gnats. But sometimes there are things that happen and God says, yeah, but you know what? The flies are only going to be on those who fail to listen because I'm going to make a distinction and I'm going to put my hand of protection over my people. And sometimes bad things happen, again, just because we live on this earth. But sometimes painful sores break out on the people who had the mark because they worship the beast and not the lamb. But we have to be careful to not just assume that, that thing, everything that happens is because of judgment. Sometimes it's just because we live in a sinful world. But through it all, God has a plan, because God hears the cries for deliverance from gnats that no one deserved and from boils that no one wants. In Exodus, God raised up a deliverer named Moses. And in Revelation, God has raised this Jesus who was crucified to be both Savior and Lord. In Exodus, God delivers his people as they walk across the Red Sea on dry ground. And in Revelation, the people are led over the sea of glass mixed with fire and looking every bit as red as that sea so that they can also claim victory over an enemy just as real as Pharaoh's army. Had been. God always has a plan to deliver his people safely to the other side where victory is secured both then in Egypt and now in our lives. Secondly, the price of salvation is always. Always the lamb's blood. In Exodus, it's an actual lamb that is killed and applied to the homes of the people of Israel. It was the blood of a lamb that saved them from death. And when they saw the lamb's blood, he spared them, and those in the house that had blood on the doorpost did not die. But in Revelation, it's not the blood of just any lamb. It's the blood of the lamb, looking as if it had been slain, who has washed the robes of those who have come through the tribulation and made those robes white in the blood of the lamb. It is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and who is victorious over death and hell and the grave, who now stands with the people, leading them in the song, of triumph in the song of Moses and the song of the lamb and how many times have i said keep your eye on the lamb where is the lamb now he's leading the singing at the head of the victorious procession the lamb is always the price of salvation number 3 god has always desired to dwell among his people in exodus his glory fills a tent fashioned as a sanctuary for God to dwell. His presence is so strong that when Moses would meet with God, when he would walk back out, the people couldn't even look at Moses. His face was so bright. And when Moses then asks, could he see God's glory in all of its brilliance, he's told he can't because no one can see God and live. But God said, I'll hide you in the cleft of a rock and I'll allow my glory to just pass by and you can see my back. And God dwelt with his people then in Egypt. And then in the season that we just celebrated during Christmas, we celebrated that God became flesh and dwelt among us in Jesus and now a different John wrote, or the same John but in a different book wrote, we have seen his glory. And now in Revelation we once more see the temple, but it's a tabernacle again. We get this flashback to the way God's presence used to dwell with his people when he would tabernacle among them. And this tabernacle that John sees matches the exact specifications God had given Moses in Exodus. And it's still then God's law that is now written on our hearts that is guiding us. And once again, the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and God is present once more with his people. And pretty soon we'll get to turn two more pages in the book and we'll read, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. He will be with us and we will be with him forever. We'll be able to look at him. We'll be able to dwell with him and walk with him and spend time With him, he will forever dwell among his people, which has always been his plan, it has always been his heart. God has always desired to live among his people. And lastly, this morning, worship has always been the key. In Exodus, God wanted his people to go out and worship him in the desert. But Pharaoh had a different plan for the people of God. He wanted the people to be known for what they did and what they could produce. But God wanted them to be known for who they were. And they were God's children. He had chosen them. He loved them. He appointed them. He made them his heirs. He made them his people. He turned them into a nation. And he wanted the people to worship him alone. He delivered his people from Pharaoh twice. And you know what the people did in order to bring that about? Do you know what it was that the people of Israel had to participate in in order to accomplish that victory? Do you know how it was that they fought this battle or how they came to see Pharaoh defeated twice? They ate a meal guys. They stood still And then, after a miracle that they had nothing to do with, they just walked forward. They walked forward across a sea on dry ground. Victory came not because of anything the Egyptians did, but because of what the Lord did. The Lord fought for them. It wasn't them, it was just what He told them to do stand still, prepare a lamb. Prepare some bread, sit down and eat it. And then march forward when I tell you to go forward. And then in response, begin to sing unto the Lord. Stand still and see deliverance come. And it did. And their response on the other side of the Red Sea was to begin to sing. And they expressed their thanksgiving and song in Exodus. They said, oh, how the enemy boasted in that day. The enemy boasted and said, oh, I'll pursue them. I'll overtake them. But you, God, you blew with your breath. That's all it took. And the sea covered over our enemy. Because who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you who is majestic in holiness and awesome in glory and working wonders? And so in Revelation, we see the same God has made a way for his people once again. And those who have remained loyal to the Lamb have come through victorious. They have battled the enemy in an unbelieving world. They have battled an enemy again and again who said, oh, I'll pursue you. Oh, I'll get you this time. Oh, I will take you out now. I might've let you have a little bit of a reprieve. I might've let you have just a moment where you thought everything was gonna be fine, but I am back to try and take you out once again. And the enemy tried to come at them again and again and again, but these who kept their eyes on the lamb, who did not falter, who did not turn to the right or to the left, left, who kept walking forward in the plans and purposes of the Lord. They have now come through and they stand before the Lord victorious. And you know what it was that they did? They just followed the instructions that the Lord had given them. He didn't tell them to do anything else. And here were their weapons. Here's how they defeated and how they overcame. Their weapons by which they defeated the beast were the word of their testimony. It was the blood of the lamb and it was the harps given them by God. They testified, and they worshiped their way to victory. And then they began to sing the song of Moses, and they began to sing the song of the Lamb now. It wasn't just one, leaders. No, no, this was the song of the Lamb as they sang great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, king of all the nations, not just Israel, but all the nations now. And who will not fear you, Lord? Who will not bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. And all nations now will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. And when we read the story backwards, it gives us hope because now we know how the story ends people of God win. They might have to deal with some gnats and frogs on occasion, but victory's ahead. There may be doubts or days of doubts. There may be days of darkness that fall, but victory is still ahead and has still been secured. It may seem like God has forgotten or failed to hear as you've cried out to him in the quietness of your own heart. But he's listening. He has heard, and it has always been his desire to be with his people. He longs to have us near him. It may seem like deliverance is a long time in coming, but victory's ahead, and the plan is already in motion. It may seem like you just can't get it right. No matter how many times you try, you fail and failed again. But let me remind you this morning that victory doesn't depend on you. It's dependent upon the work of the lamb and his work is already accomplished. He's already paid the price for you to be saved, for you to be forgiven. It's not on you. It's on Jesus And he's one. And for all of us walking into 2023 with worries or anxiety or trepidation about the future. And for all of us walking in ready to take on the world full of energy and courage. For both of us, the weapons we'll need this year are the same. We'll need the word of our testimony about a faithful God who has always been there who has always been about a plan for deliverance who has always made a way for his people who has always desired to be with us and who has always responded when his people began to worship we'll need the word of that testimony we'll need the blood of the lamb applied to our life and we're going to need an instrument for worship grab your harp and start to sing And we'll worship our way to victory this year. Because the same words that Moses declared to the people, we hear the Lord declare to us this morning, stand still and watch because I'm fighting for you this year. Will you bow your heads with me? Because as I prepared this message, there was a song that just kept coming to my heart. And I just want in this time then, for us just to begin to reflect and to worship and to pray and to ask the Lord to come and to fight the battle as we just stay still.
1: You go before I know that you've even gone to win my come back with the head of my enemy. You come back and you call it my enemy. From my dry wilderness, and all I did was praise, and all I did was worship, and all I did was bow down, and all. I do. Mercy is the shade. I am a living in, I do restore my faith and hope again.
0: Jesus, thank you, Jesus.
2: In fearful times, times filled with despair, doubt, and questions, but the people of the Lord are not to fear. The Word of God declares, Don't let your heart be troubled and don't be afraid. For isn't the Lord your God a defender? Isn't the Lord your God? the Savior. Isn't he the way maker and the one who will provide in the midst of every storm? He'll be the provision, the protector, and the comfort. In days of lack, he will provide for his people. They'll not go forsaken. They'll not be forsaken, for the Lord will march out before them, and he'll lead them into victory, for the Lord the Lord is your God and he will deliver and provide for his people. Trust in the Lord and rest in him and rejoice in him. For the Lord is making a way where there seems to be no way. And the people of God shall declare it. Rejoice, for the Lord is victorious. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We'll worship our way this this year. We'll worship our way to victory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We bless your name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. so good to be in your presence Lord we know Lord that you are going before us and you are fighting you are making a way where there hasn't been one you're making a way Lord for us you're fighting on our behalf Lord and all we need to do is stay still and watch watch what the Lord will do As we continue, Lord, to just seek you, to keep our eyes on the lamb, to proclaim the goodness of God, to keep the blood of the lamb applied to our lives and to live lives of righteousness and holiness that that the lamb allows us to, not because we're righteous on our own, that couldn't possibly be, but because the lamb has made it so. And then we'll just keep worshiping you, Lord. We'll worship you, Lord, until that day, Lord you're the one who is leading the singing. Thank you, Lord. We bless your name. Thank you, Jesus. Will you stand with me this morning as our pastor gives us our final blessing? Thank you.
2: I was thinking that word in my head just as Sarah said it. I thought, you know what, the Lord, there's one other word and that is to watch and see what the Lord will do. (laughs) Watch and see what the Lord will do because of what we know of his faithfulness in exodus, watch and see what the Lord will do. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen and amen. Go rejoicing today. God bless you. Stay for Sunday school. Starts at ten o'clock. You've got ten minutes to get to class. There's a great class meets right here in the sanctuary if you want to just stay right here. God bless you.